you guys know that as a preacher, I have one primary message, which is the gospel. And I think every passage we read at shows elements of the gospel, whether our sinfulness, which shows a need for God's grace in the gospel, or the gospel explain itself, or the gospel being an example, anticipating that, or the gospel saying, this is true, therefore it's applied. And as I said earlier, as we're looking at Genesis 38 today, this is perhaps the most strangest part of the Bible that I've perhaps ever preached in my 12 years of ministry here at TCAC. But I think this is important. And I titled today's sermon, Like Father, But Worse. You guys ever hear the saying? Like Father, what's the saying goes? Like Father, Like Son, right? And I think this is going to speak to us because I think perhaps all of us might look back and say that our parents perhaps have contributed to who we are for good and sometimes for the bad. And sometimes we perhaps might even be upset with our parents. And this is one of those sermons that speak to the reality of the issues that we're dealing with. Okay, So I'm going to read Genesis 38. And please do pay attention. And let me say this again. When I'm reading this, I know what I'm doing. It's not like uh, when you think this is so weird. I actually think it is strange. But it actually is so relevant. And I actually think it's a very powerful chapter that we need to read. Judah, uh, (laughs) Genesis 38 says this. And it came about at that time that Judah departed from his brothers and visited a certain Adumalite, whose name was Hira. Verse 2. Judah saw a daughter of a certain Canaanite, whose name was Shua, and he took her and went into her. So she conceived and bore a son, and he named him Ur. Then she conceived again and bore a son, and named him Onan. She bore still another son, and named him Salah, and it was at Chezib. That she bore him. Now Judah took a wife for Ur, <coughs> his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. But Ur, Judah's firstborn, was evil in the sight of the Lord, so the Lord took his life. Then Judah said to Anon, Go into your brother's wife and perform your duty as a brother in law to her, and raise up offspring for your brother. Onan knew that the offspring would not be his. So when he went in to his brother's wife, he wasted his seed on the ground in order not to give offspring to his brother. But when he did, but what he did was displeasing the sight of the Lord. So he took his life also. Then Judah said to his daughter-in-law Tamar, Remain a widow in your father's house until my son Salah grows up. For he thought, I am afraid that he too might die like his brothers. So Tamar went and lived in her father's house. Now after a considerable time, Shua's daughter, the wife of Judah, died. And when the time of mourning was ended, Judah went up to his sheep shear at Timnah. He and his friend Hira, the Adamalite. Verse 13, it was told to Tamar, Behold, your father-in-law is going up to Timnah to shear his sheep. So she removed her widow's garments and covered herself with a veil and wrapped herself and sat in the gateway of Enim, which is on the road to Timnah. For she saw that Silah had grown up and she had not been given to him as a wife. Verse 15. When Judah saw her, he thought she was a harlot, for she covered her face. So he turned aside to her by the road and said, Here now, let me come into you. For he did not know that she was his daughter-in-law. And she said, what will you get? And she said, What will you give me? 
that you may come into me. He said, therefore, I will send you a young goat from the flock. She said, moreover, will you give a pledge until you sent it? He said, what pledge shall I give you? And she said, your seal and your cord and your staff that is in your hand. So he gave them to her and went into her and she, con- she conceived by him. Then she arose and departed and removed her veil and put on her widow's garment. When Judah sent the goat by his friend, the Adamite, to receive the pledge from the woman's hand, he did not find her. He asked the men of her place, saying, uh, uh, saying Where is the temple prostitute who is by the road at Enam? But they said, There has been no temple prostitute here. So he returned to Judah and said, I did not find her. And furthermore, the men of the place said, There have been no temple prostitute here. Then Judah said, Let her keep them. Otherwise, we will become a laughingstock. After all, I sent this goat, but you did not find her. Now it was about three months later that Judah was informed, Your daughter-in-law Tamar has played the harlot, and behold, she is also with, a, with child by harlotry. Then Judah said, Bring her out and let her be burned. It was while she was being brought out that she sent to her father-in-law, saying, I am with child by the man whose these things belong. And she said, Please examine and see whose signet ring and cords and staff are these okay? Judah recognized them and said, She is far, she is more righteous than I, inasmuch as I did not give her to my son's law, and he did not have relations with her again. It came about at that time she was giving birth that behold, there were twins in her womb. Moreover, it took place while she was giving birth, one hand put out, and the midwife took and tied a scarlet thread on his hand, saying, This one came out first. We'll stop here the passage of preaching for today. Let me pray again for the preaching of God's word. Father God, speak to us. Minister to us. Make this applicable. Make this also that we see this passage in more clearer light. Remove any obstacles perhaps we might have of thinking this is strange or inappropriate. But Lord, as we see the sinfulness of man and we see the incredible wonder of your grace, And minister to us, especially for those that perhaps have grievances and even legitimate grievances with their parents. Speak to us powerfully from your word today and help us see the need for the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Like I said earlier, I titled the sermon, Like Father, But Worse. Because sometimes people could say the same, right? Like Father, Like Son. And isn't it interesting when you look in this world, oftentimes people could sometimes be abused and they grow up to become what? The very abusers. This could be domestic abuse. This could even be, fortunately, even sometimes child abuse. A lot of child abusers are also what? Most of the time, they themselves were abused. And it's just strange wonder that you look that sometimes people can hate a sin so much. They know what it's like to be a victim. They know what it's like to be the receiving end of being a victim, of being oppressed, of being abused. And yet, sometimes I think it's not enough just to hate that sin, but also we need to love Christ. That's the way we break the generational patterns that sometimes you see what happens when people have been uh, the result and, and receiving end of bad parenting, oppressive parenting, and even abusive parenting. So today, I want to speak to this issue because we want to break generational patterns, right? Most people that I see with problems, when, they, when they're going through things, they will say, oh, I, don't, I really do not like what my parents done. But sometimes I think, 
Where our identity can be so caught up of saying, this has defined me. This thing that hurt me has defined me so much that as much as they say they're trying to get away, it defined them so much in their strange inversion that they end up doing the same thing. Right? They end up doing the same thing, same job pattern and everything. So today, I want to speak to that by looking at a man named Judah. What's his name? Judah. And as we go over this passage, if you know the story, in fact, while going through, this is the result of just teaching my daughters just Monday through Fridays with the Word of God as our family devotional on top of our homeschooling. They thought, man, after I am done with preaching Ephesians, I want to go through Genesis. So pray for me because I think that book is so relevant to relationships and difficult family situations. Pray for me because I, you guys know I'm really slow on preaching. If I preach that, I need to somehow figure out a different way of translating uh, through the Hebrew of Genesis. Because I take a long time, if you guys remember, whenever I preach that. But looking at this, you know in this passage today, we speak to this. Because sometimes we can feel, even sometimes without even knowing it, we could become even pharisaical with our parents. What do I mean by that? We could be so self-righteous. We think sometimes we think, you know what, our parents are bad, and it's true. But we think we are so much better. And I want to speak to us from this passage today. To be careful of thinking, of specifically to be careful to think we are better than our parents. None of this thing in the sermon here is to say is to downplay what our parents have done. If there is cases for some of us with, with problems. This is not to downplay at all, but sometimes we need to be aware. That thought could be true, but then it's a slight nuance differences. As Katsina is saying, is to say that sometimes we think we are even better than our parents. Here are going to be the five points for today. To be aware of that we don't become like our, the worst of our parents or even worse than our parents. Here are these five points for today's message. If you're taking notes, each one is kind of long, each sentence. Point number one I want to establish, our parents can hurtfully sin against us. Our parents can hurtfully sin against us is point number one. It's based upon verse one. I phrase this very specifically instead of just saying our parents sin against us. Because sometimes they can sin and we don't feel like we're offended. We could even enjoy those sins, like sins especially of enablement. But point number one is our parents can hurtfully sin against us. They can sin against us in a way that's very hurtful in verses one. So point number one, our parents can hurtfully sin against us. Point number two is beware. Our marriage can be more sinful than our parents. Point number two, beware. Our marriage can be more sinful than our parents. This is found in verses two to five. Verses 2 to 5. Beware our marriage can be more sinful than our parents. Okay? Point number 3 is related. It sounds very similar. Beware our parenting. Whereas point number 2 is beware our marriage. Beware, point number 3, beware our parenting can be more sinful than our parents. Beware our parenting can be more sinful than our parents. This is found in verses 6 to 10. Verses 6 to 10. Point number uh, actually, it's like six points more like it, okay? Be- point number four, beware our love for the youngest child can be more sinful than our parents. Beware our love for the youngest child can be more sinful than our parents. This is found in verses 11. Beware our love for the youngest child can be more sinful than our parents. This is based upon verse 11. Next point is beware our lack of self-control. Beware our lack of self-control can be more sinful than our parents. This is in verses 12 to 23. 
Beware our lack of self-control can be more sinful than our parents. In verses 12 to 23. And the last point. Beware our judgmental attitude can be more sinful than our parents. Beware that our judgmental attitude can be more sinful than our parents. This is found in verses 24 to 26. These are the points. For the sake of time, I'm going to move on to look at each point. Okay. Point number one. Our parents can hurtfully sin against us. If you guys are with me in Genesis 38, look with me again at verses 1. It says, And it came about at that time that Judah departed from his brothers and visited a certain Adamalite whose name was Hirah. It's interesting because when we look at this passage, to set the context, God told Abraham, which is Judah, this is the main character here, this is his, this is his what? Great-grandfather. Abraham, had a child named Isaac that was going to be the promised one where it's promised that the, through their line there'll be a nation. Eventually the line will come someone that's going to save the, us from our sins the whole world called the Messiah. Who's that Messiah? His name is Jesus. So we know it's going to be from Abraham to Isaac and then Isaac had twins. Which twin is it going to be that God's going to bring the promised Messiah? Uh, Israel or uh, uh, Jacob. Sorry. Okay, I'm stuttering now. Okay. Okay, Jacob, okay? Then Jacob had how many kids? Twelve. Twelve boys, plus one named T- uh, Dina, okay? A daughter, uh, not daughter, in-law, daughter, okay, period, okay? So, you see this is a family tree here. And then you might ask, which one of the Messiah will come from among these many kids? I actually think the Bible says it's going to come from Judah. But God did not pick Judah because he's so awesome. In fact, we're going to see this chapter. He's pretty shady, Okay? But when we see in the verses 1, you see that he is departing from who? What does it say? He's departing from his brothers, which also means he's departing from his dad. Now, this passage is not saying moving out of your parents' household is bad. But I think the conditions of what it is that he's moving out to, especially when God says, hey, stay in the promised land so there could be a nation that eventually Jesus will come as the Messiah to save us from all our sins. So when he leaves here, this is not the case of, oh, we got, when you're older now, it's time to move out, have your own household, that kind of thing. This is, I think, when he's leaving, he's driven by a lot of hurt. Because if you look earlier in his life, okay, in his father's life, I don't think his father was always as godly as he should be. In fact, there was a lot of favoritism in a family with 12 sons. There is a lot of favoritism going on. Who does, who does his father... Israel or Jacob prefer Israel and Jacob's use interchangeably. Who does he prefer more? Look with me in Genesis 33, verse 2. This is when they were kids. When the father Jacob was going to go back to meet his brother to seek reconciliation with his brother Esau. Remember, his brother Esau wanted to kill him. Because what Jacob did all these wrongs against him, lied, stole his birthright, stole, stole his blessing. When the father's about to die, the blessing that's given uh, to the son, he stole that pretending fake, all these things, okay? You can see what kind of dad this man is. But when he goes over to see his, his to try to reconcile with his, with his brother, you see clear favoritism because he split it up into groups. That's going to meet with, with his. He splits it up because in one sense it's wise. Because if one group, if his brother does not want to forgive him and attacks and kills everyone, then you don't kill the whole family. But then you see suddenly his heart of favoritism. Because in uh, Genesis 33 verse 2 it says, He put the maids and their children in front. Isn't it interesting? He puts them in front. 
and Leah and her child next. And who's last? Rachel, which is his favorite wife, and who else? Which son? Joseph. Joseph, okay? This son is a favorite son because why? If they're being attacked first, then in the back, who's the most safest from being attacked from an enemy? Joseph, right? The one in the back, including his favorite wife. Now, how many of us like favoritism? How many of us, if we were to face favoritism as a child by your parent, would be deeply hurt and grieved? Look with me also, moreover, in Genesis 37. Yes, look with me in Genesis 37. This is right before this part. Right, This is a chapter right before Judah said, I have had enough of my dad. I'm going to move out and live among those who do not believe in God and live whatever and marry whoever. It doesn't matter. And if you notice, they matter who they marry so much because it's passing on the faith that they must trust in God. Someone to be together, trusting God. And he says, I don't care anymore. I'm going to live and make my best friend is people of the world. And I don't care of anything. I've had enough and fed up with my father. If you look with me real quick in Genesis 37 verse 2, Joseph is described of having a fancy clothes, multicolored, which back then, you know, I know today all of us we could be poor and have clothes with different colors. But back then it was rare. It would have taken a lot of work. And by the way, if you see here in verses 2, you see that the brother, this youngest brother, Joseph, didn't even work. But he went to the field, saw his brothers. And it says here in verses 2, it says what? He went back tattletaling to his dad. Amen. Some of the, uh, your translation says bad report. But literally that Hebrew word for bad report is actually lies. Elsewhere in other parts of the Bible, he's not just only telling bad. Joseph is reporting to his dad. Hey, my brothers are so horrible as shepherds. But the Hebrew word actually is best translated as false reports. As lies. Okay? Now, if you're the brother and you see this guy, this younger brother who does not work... And he has multiple clothes. And also, when your life was at risk, you were put up front as a sacrificial lamb. And you know this son is favored. The way he's dressed, and he's this guy that is so snobby. By the way, God's going to teach him and get the arrogance out of him by a lot of suffering. Right? Before he could be able to be this great leader. Okay? But in this story, yeah, I can imagine. And then, by the way, they, remember the brothers hated him so much. What did they do? They wanted to kill him. And Judah, which seems to suggest he's the leader of the pack, said, We have a better plan. Why kill him for free? You ever see the scene in Batman where Joker's trying to talk to all these criminals, cartels, and stuff? They're like, you know, I'll, 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 you pay me a lot of money. I'll kill Batman. They're like, if you could kill Batman, why won't you already? And he says, what? Why kill him if I don't get anything out of it? Right? Do you guys remember that scene? Judah's like that also as well. Right? Conniving plan. By the way, where do you think he got this from? His father. Okay. He says instead, why just kill for free? Let's just sell our brother Joseph, whom we don't like, as slaves. Do you guys remember that? And make some money out of it. And then let's lie to our dad with the clothes, the very clothes that he has. Let's put some blood and let's be the very trickery. By the way, where did they learn this idea to use clothes to trick somebody? Their father, right? Their father and mother, his father Jude, also had furry clothes, pretended to be hairy like his brother, remember? Stole the brother. So they're just like father, like what? Son, okay? But we're going to see it's even worse. And in reading this passage here, Joseph, uh, uh, then when his father found out, thinks, oh, Joseph is dead. Guess what? He says what? I am no more. How would you feel if you're the son? You're thinking, dude, this guy's crying like he has no other sons. How many of us would feel like that's it? 
I tried so hard to try to be reconciled, to be a good son. That's it. I'm going to go to California. I'm going to go wherever, and I'm going to be far away. I'm going to live a total heathen lifestyle. Which established point number one. Our parents can hurt us sinfully against us. And sometimes our reaction is to flee from our past, is to flee from all that is before. And by the way, I established point number one is to say that this message in no way is downplaying those with issues that their fathers and mothers have not been the best towards them. Because this is legitimate, objectively from the Word of God issue. Which now we go to point number two. Point number one is our parents can hurtfully sin against us. Point number two is beware our marriage can be more sinful than our parents. Again, let me say this. This is not to downplay the real sin and hurt that Joseph has gone, uh, uh, Judah has gone through. But sometimes we could become that thought, we could equivocate with another thought that's very different to say, we're better than our parents. Okay? Point number two, we could think, I could imagine he's going to go marry. He says, I'm going to have a better marriage than my father. But let's look at verse two to five. Establish beware our marriage can even be more sinful than our parents. In verses two, it says, Judah saw that a daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shua, and he took her and went into her. This is a pretty graphic word. This is pretty graphic words, right? Reading this, you know, I had to pray for a while before I taught my daughter. I was just thinking, oh man, my daughter's before fifth grade for all of this. But how do we teach this passage? You have so many questions. Because it's so graphic. In fact, you look how many times the word went into her, mentioned. Right? This here you see right away. He's going to, and by the way, it doesn't even name this wife. I think it shows that this is a man that lacks no self-control, right? He's just going to marry whatever, okay? This Canaanite woman, and he took her and went into her. By the way, notice it says, took her. Say this, took. Oh, actually, let's back up. Uh, Say the word saw. Took. These Hebrew words, saw and took, is actually the same words as in Genesis 3.6. Do you remember what Adam and Eve saw the fruit that they're not supposed to eat in the garden? And they, what did they do? They took it. I think what it's trying to say here in the Hebrew, the same words they could have used, there's more than one word for seen. Is I think and even the same case, even the same everything. is to make us say, hey, we've seen this before, have we not? Where someone lacks self-control, they're tempted, and they're doing things that they shouldn't be doing. Why doesn't say, hey, they did the wrong thing? We know from the way it's usage in terms of the construct, and also elsewhere in the Bible, they should be marrying someone that loves God. But here is now someone that Judah says, it doesn't matter, I'm just going to go by whatever I see, whatever delights me, I'm going to get. And with this pattern, you see what, with the marriage, is it going to be more sinful? At least with, by the way, this is like their father too, is he not? You remember when, <laughs> do you remember when Jacob ran away from the brother that wanted to kill him? And then he went to a well, and he met his wife. He thought it was love at first sight. Do you remember that scene? It was just so strange. He sees all these shepherds, guys, and then this one shepherdess, that was a girl, right? His wife-to-be, Rachel. He sees her first time and says, what? Dude, when, how can you? And he just started bossing everyone else around. Where did Joseph get the bossiness from? Right? Of other people. I think it's from their dad. Okay, bossing other shepherds, hey, go do these work. And then, who are they? They're not even hired by him. And he says, how come you don't water and feed and water and, and hydrate the sheep? And they're like, it's not time yet. And he says, I'm going to lift this rock and impress this girl so much. And then he moves it and then she's like, okay. 
Thank you. And then he goes, well, he starts crying. Oh! Goes up and kiss her. Which is really cringy. Okay? Totally cringy. She did the right thing. She was like, okay. And just took off running to tell her dad, right? This is a man that has no self-control. Okay? He's not just love at first sight. It's lust at first sight, right? I mean, even the way he talks to her father-in-law about marriage. It's like, hey, when could I go into her? That's like so crass. And say, when man, This is a person that is driven. And look at Judah. He's doing the same thing. Like father, fill in the blank. Like son. But let's go on. I think he even does it even worse. Because when she conceived and bore a son, at first he named him Ur. Which I think is kind of ironic. It's not in the Hebrew because he's going to make a lot of errors and errors on the way, okay? At first it's like, okay, bore the son. And by the way, who named him the son? Husband or wife? Judah. Judah did, okay? The husband. But then if you look at the next child, he doesn't even name the child. Second or third. Now let me say this real quick. I know like Francis Wendy just gave a birth. I do believe that when it comes to child's name, I had a whole bunch of names that I wanted, like names of apologists for middle name. I consulted my wife. I think it's okay for my wife to say, you know what? It might not be nice to have, you know, Rebecca be Rebecca Bonson Lee. That's a little bit too man-centered. I was like, yeah, okay, I agree, okay? I think there is an aspect of, you know, uh, contributing. But I think this is a showing a role, especially in that cultural expectation back then. The husband's supposed to be the leader. Comes with a name. You see this with Abraham naming the child Isaac. And you see by the time it gets to his father, he's, you know, he's letting the you know, wife named it and making the names be like digging, like a, a slander against uh, the other spouse and all kinds of drama, okay? There's more drama here than any Korean drama in the book of Genesis. And the Bible is honest about the reality of difficulties in marriage and family. But here we see the difficulty, right? He's marrying them and all of this. And notice also as well, in the middle of naming all these child, did you catch how out of nowhere in verse 5 it says Chezeb? Chezeb means lies. They're living in a town of lies, okay? At least with Israel, at least with Jacob, he's consciously saying, I want to raise my kids in a good environment as best as possible that I can afford. But with this, he doesn't even care. We're going to live a city that even non-believers would say is a terrible place to live. They call this a town of lies. So you see, this is the kind of neglect that he cares. He doesn't care. I think he's probably a husband in some ways that's absent from parenting and even from his marriage where there's no input in terms of naming the child. So he might say, you know what, dad, you're horrible. Look, I mean, you're so, you're so horrible. The reason why there's two wives that are sisters is because what? Remember, the dad had no self-control that honeymoon night that his father-in-law deceived him by having what? The oldest daughter be in bed. And he had no self-control to even find out who he is. He, this is a guy that is out of control with his hormones. And just when you say, okay, my father's so horrible. The reason, I can imagine Joseph, if he was drinking in a bar, would say something like, you know what, my life is horrible. I'm the fourth son. And I was the son of Leah, who is the unloved mother. Man, my dad is horrible, right? And you could see in the scenario that's going on here, that he's doing the same thing. With no reference to anything with God, with the names of their kids. So... 
Beware our marriage can be more sinful than that of our parents. We need to be aware of that. First, I know not everyone here is married, but as single, even as we are, be careful with trepidation. Please do not take this message and say, don't marry. You, you repeat a generational pattern. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying, hey, go to God with fear and trepidation. There's some things that I know my parents are not perfect, that my mom is not perfect, that I feel like, oh, I, I, it's so dangerous that I could have bring this in, into my marriage. It's not to say don't be married, but to say, Lord God, I need you so much. I'm praying, please, I do not want to repeat and do the same thing. Help me, God. Beware our marriage can be more sinful than that of our parents. Point number three, beware our parenting can be more sinful than our parents. And point number two is about marriage. Point number three is our parenting can be more sinful than our parents. Verse six to ten. Now Judah took a wife for Ur, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. Okay? Judah took a wife. He's looking. Remember what God's word? Every time before, all the patriarchs before, they're very careful of who they're trying to pick to have the wives for their kids. Yes? But now he's picking someone that had nothing to do with God. In fact, I think by the name, her name is actually a very beautiful name. Tamar actually means palm, uh, palm trees. Okay? Which probably speaks to her beauty. He's probably being a father that's caring for other things first. Not about God first. After all, he's moved away right, from anything to do with God. He's married some, And the names are, are nothing to do with Christ or, or God of the Bible, Yahweh. And here he is. When it comes time to marry, he's just picking. It's like, okay, palm trees. Look at verse 7. But Ur, Judah's firstborn, was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord took his life. His father, this is the son. The son, Ur, was so sinful, what happened to him? Did God punish him? We don't know what it is, but he died. You remember with his father, with his father, Israel? He could easily say, you know what? The reason why we're so terrible is because our father was a horrible person. By the way, Judah's kids, were they all godly? No. If you guys turn back with me in Genesis 34, do you remember how when their sister Dina was taken advantage of, their idea of revenge was not just, okay, go after one person. Let's just kill the entire town of guys. You guys realize sometimes when we read the Bible, sometimes we picture these guys who are like really soft, really effeminate. Maybe they drink a lot of soy, eat too much chew food. These guys are, some of these guys, I wouldn't really want to run into them in an alleyway. These guys were... I mean, they tricked these guys to say, I want you guys all get circumcised. And while they're all weak, they went and what? Kill everyone. These guys, and then the father says, what are you doing? And I can imagine the son said, you know what? We, we learned lying from you, deception. He's like, oh. uh, I'm not saying this happened, but I'm just, it's possible, right? And they're murderers, right? And here is this case that you might say, he could say, you know what? The reason why my son is terrible, why Joseph is terrible and so bossy is because their dad is horrible. But guess what? His own son was so sinful that this son even died. At least with Judah and the other ones, they were not so sinful to the point that they all got wiped out. Which speaks to our third point. Beware our, our uh, correction, our, oh yeah, third point. Beware our parenting can even be more sinful. And by the way, the next son. Also, if you read this, you might say, what's so strange? Why are they giving someone to be married? It's back then, there's no welfare. There's no social security. When someone died, 
and the husband dies, a widow without a child, that's a very sad fate. Who's going to take care of her? So they had this ancient Near East custom back then where they would actually say, you know what, if there is an unmarried son that's younger or a brother, that person should give her, that person a child. Okay? Give that person a child. But this man, this second son, Onan, did he want to give her a child? No. When you think about it, this is a very wicked, sinful story. He did not want to give her a child. In fact, he's going to pretend he's going to keep trying, but not give her a child. In other words, what is he doing? He's taking advantage of her in a very horrific way. A very horrific way. Could you imagine? Taking advantage every single time, but not allowing her to have any kids. He's just using her for her own what? His own pleasure. This is a wicked man. And do you think God made... Do you think God's cool with this? Guess what happened to Onan? It's like, Oman, he's out, right? He's dead too. And by the way, this whole time, remember God told Israel, the purpose of Israel's family is to be a blessing to the nations. It's to actually help people to turn to God. Are they really helping people draw closer to God at this point in the story? If you were to be Tamar, would you feel like, all oh, right, I'm going to worship your God? Or would you feel like, man, I don't want anything to do with you guys? The way you guys are doing, or your God. By the way, look at this. This is so sad. Usually when people are married, they're no longer going to go back to their father's house. He shames her. Judah shames her. How? By sending her back to her parents' house. Remember those, all those dowry they have is to say, if anything happened to this marriage, you guys are now responsible to take care of all this. Okay? When we read the Bible story, sometimes we think, oh, back then people are dumb and silly. There's reasons why they're doing I'm not saying we do everything the same, but there's reasons why, mechanism to take care. And he sends her back. And he says, you know what? When my third child is old enough, I'm going to let her also, let him also have a child. But did he really want that? Or was he lying? He lied. He's sending her back, but he had no desire whatsoever. And by the way, even more sadly, what does he do? He blames her for the problem. He not only blames her for the problem that she has, he also blames her and says, my son is dead is because of you. But he is so blinded with the sin, he doesn't even say was I responsible in raising these sons that are so ungodly? Did he even blame the sons for their own sinfulness as a possibility of why they sin? No, instead he blames them scapegoating. He thought this, and I can imagine, this lady is sad. She's being blamed for something that she did not do. And this is done by a man who hates his father. The way his father perhaps treated his mother another woman, and the way right now he's treating her is even worse. Beware our parenting can be more sinful than that of our parents. Let's go to point number four. Beware our love for the youngest child can be more sinful than our parents. Remember we saw earlier that the father, his father, Judah's father, Jacob, had favoritism. Who did he favor? The youngest child. What was the youngest child's name? Joseph, he favored not because he's youngest, but it's also from his favorite wife. Okay? And by the way, we should always do what is right. Yes? Even with our kids. And we should not be so sinfully favored to, to enable sin. Look at this in verses 11. Now we see this man who says, You know what? I hate my father. For always preferring the youngest and not letting the youngest do the right thing. 
Look at what's going on in verses 11. He's now down to the only son, his youngest son. And he thinks it's Tamar's fault. And then he's going to be protecting his son instead of having his son doing the right duty. At least with the convention of their time. Is he doing the same thing that his own father has done also as well? Holding back his son from doing the right duty. And the same responsibility as the other sons. He's doing the same thing. I think it's one of those strangest things in the families that sometimes could have favoritism. That favoritism repeats one cycle after another. I don't want to get into too much family history. But I see this, you know, being very true. That they could sometimes feel like, I hate favoritism. And they themselves, as parents, when they're assigned parents, could have an inverse favoritism. Right? Maybe their fathers and parents before favored the oldest. And then now they prefer the youngest. Or sometimes they have the same thing. They like the oldest. You see the dangers of that. And you see once again that Judah does the same thing. And by the way, remember that, don't forget Genesis 12. There's supposed to be a family that bless the whole world. Bless people that are outside their family. Bless people to let them know about God and be good to them. And now you see in ways... Because of his favor for his youngest son, he holds the duty he's supposed to do, and therefore he's become like his parent. But worse, this is a woman that's going to be living in poverty with no means of support. Where back then, being a widow means very likely a death penalty, early death, and quality of life would be horrible. He's become like his father, but worse. Let's go to point number five. Beware our lack of self-control could be more sinful than our parents. And I can imagine he could say, you know what, my dad, the reason why he's married to Leah and the reason why I'm born is because my father had no self-control when he got married. He didn't even check who he was that night with. But you know what? He himself also did not practice self-control. Because look at verses 12. After he was widowed, he was widowed already. He was going to go take some sheep to be sheared somewhere else. And what does he do? He sees this as an opportunity. Like most college, sinful college students, they said, this is time for spring break. And doing a lot of things they're not supposed to do out in town. Verse 13. Tamar found out that he's going to go to a certain town to shear the sheep. And she thought, you know what? I'm here. He says, I, I know the son is old enough to give me a child. But I'm going to take matters in my own hand. And he's, she's going to go and what? Be like a woman who sells her body and lies. And back then, the way they lied is they would put a mask on, okay? So nothing, I'm not speaking about anything that's what they would do. And then they would be like, oh, that's a sign. Of, this is someone that's going to sell herself because it's shameful. You don't want to know who it is. And then what, is, what does uh, Judah do? He didn't even check who she is. She, he has so lack of self-control, not even paying attention to the voice, not paying attention to any other details. He did the deed, okay? By the way, the cost was supposed to be for a goat. Did he pay her a goat right away? He said, I had no goat. And what is he doing? He's bringing goats to be what? Sheared, right? All these animals. And he says no. But then she says, okay, well, I need a down payment of something. And what does he do? What does he give her? His what? Signet ring, his staff, his rod, okay? Signet ring is what you use back then as stamping, as your ID. This is where 
This is the kind of scenario where some people have so lack of soul, lack of self-control, that someone direct messaged him and said, you know what, I love you. And they have a Russian name. And he said, I love you so much, could you send me money? And they said, yeah, I'll give you my, uh, my, my uh, here's my credit card. And then before they know it, it's really the person behind the keyboard. It's not a Russian woman. It's, uh, it's not a... You know, it's not even a babushka. It is what? It's a big, burly Russian mafia dude that sealed their identity. And we laugh and said, well, how can it be so lack of self-control? This is the same man who does the same thing. He lacks so much self-control, he's in essence giving his ID card away to her. He's not even just giving the ID number. He's giving his ID signet ring itself. And he could be the one that says, you know what, my dad lacks so much self-control. But he lacks so much self-control, he's giving his own idea away. Okay? In fact, this is going to come back to haunt him. Okay, the story. He gives it. He does his thing, his sinful deeds. And guess what happened afterward? He sends his friend to hey, give the um, animal back or, or give the animal payment. Get back the idea. But everyone in town is like, what, what woman? We don't have it. This is not the kind of town you're imagining. This is not the place. What do you, you know? And then they're like, okay, there's a shameful. Let's just pretend it never happened. Let's move on. Three months later, what happens to Timna? No, not Timna. Um, Tamar. What happened to her? She has a bump. She's pregnant. And she's living in what? Her father's household. This is how self-righteous this guy is, Judah. He's so self-righteous with his lack of self-control. He says, you know what? Yes, I'm finally going to get rid of her. My son could survive. If she is the one that's doing things that are sinful, let's, let's, let's bring her out and burn her. Could you imagine? This is a woman that's already, he's not even taking care of her. His responsibility, or, or of that in the patriarchal society, within his household. But send her back, and he's going to go to her household and said what? Let's just get the pitch and forks and, 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 flu, and gas and everything else. Let's burn her. And he probably was delighting sinfully. He said, finally, my son would not be cursed and die because we're finally getting rid of her. What do you guys think about this? Is it pretty heinous? Beware our lack of self-control. And by the way, he's doing this with lack of self-control. I think when he says burner, it's not because, oh, this is judicial, man. He's not even trying to think of serious. He's so lack of self-control, even more than his father's. And when it was brought out, guess what happened? Which leads to point number five. Beware our judgmental attitude to be more sinful than our parents. With the way he's responding, verses 24 to 26, when she comes out and says, hey, this is the person... Could you examine whose ID? What does it turn out to be? It was his. Which shows the problem was never with Tamar. How do we know? Because he's still alive, right? He's still alive. And this is the first time we finally see that he could say he has sin. He's saying that in comparison to Tamar, who's more sinful? It was himself. Beware of judging others, including our parents. Sometimes when we are more ju- judgmental of our parents, it doesn't, you know, judgment is one of the, sin is one of those things you can't domesticate, put in one area. It kind of spill over to other area. You'll be judgmental of everyone else. It begins with him perhaps being very judgmental to his parents, and now it's spilling over to even being judgmental towards his daughter-in-law. And now he's discovering, man, I'm a very sinful person. And going over the story, if somehow it turns out that we could be like this, I want to give you a message of hope. You know, when you read later on this story, there's going to be a famine in the land. 
And Judah and his brothers are actually going to go to Egypt to get grain. Do you guys remember that? Have you ever wondered, why is it in the story, later on Judah would say, you know what, I'm willing to die and take the place in prison for my brother's place, Simeon, his other brother in, in Egypt, then rather than let my brother and my dad get so sad and my brother be in jail. Have you ever wondered, why is this man who lives away from his family, how did he ever return? Because the next chapter later on, he just appears with his brother and, and, and living with them and going out to Egypt with them. What happened? I think what happened was as a result of this event, when he was exposed to his sin, he started thinking about his own sinfulness. He started thinking about his father. Yes, my old man wasn't all there, but I'm a sinner too. What happened that made this man, who was willing to sell his brother to be slave, to make money, to become now a brother that was sacrificial, to say, Simeon, I, I don't want my brother in jail. I'm going to be the sacrifice. I'm going to take the place. Instead of saying, I'm going to hurt my father by moving out and living a rebellious life. To say, I don't want my father to have another son be missing and die in grief of old age. What happened was this chapter. That his sin was exposed. That he saw, I think, his need for a savior was what made him change. This is where it change happened. And change began by first seeing the sinfulness of our sins. You would never change. Actually, you wouldn't even see there's a reason to change. Unless first you see how sinful you are. And this is the message we preach to you. And this is the message we preach. And this is the message our church preach. And this is the message the Bible preach. That we need to see the sinfulness of our sins. Sure, we do need to see the sins of others as in real light and accurately. But we also need to see the sin of our own sin. And the sin, our own sin that's against God. And we need to see that we sin others horribly. Wretchedly, And that includes myself. That includes all of us. If we know our sin, only then will we ask God for grace. And only then will God change us, knowing grace, will we be gracious to others. And therefore, this is here in this story, rather than this just being a strange story, this is a story of redemption. Of turning this man around. And by the way, him being changed so much would later move his brother, Joseph, who later become prime minister. Do you guys remember... Man, I feel like when I read Genesis, this last part of Genesis, this is like, what's that great story called? Um, the Count of Monte Cristo. I've said with no revenge at all. This is the Count of Monte Cristo, but flip the script around by saying this is a story of forgiveness where the brother later on is just so moved, he cries, right? Seeing, how could this brother who sold me be now be sacrificial? What changed? It wasn't just because he got older was he finally saw the sinfulness of his sin and need for a Savior. And once being forgiven, he's able to forgive others and be gracious. And through this faulty man, and by the way, even through this very unfortunate story of Tamar, God honors them both, did he not? He turned the story of shame into what? Honor. That when you read the genealogy of Jesus Christ, that who Jesus came from, Tamar, which most genealogy only mentioned the father. Tamar was brought up as one of four women that society would see as shameful to say this is who's from. Our Savior is in the business of redemption. And whatever that you're going through, whatever it is, God is in the business. Listen, say this after me. God is in the business of redemption. And will you let Him work through you? Let's close in a word of prayer.
Our Heavenly Father, let these words encourage us. Let these words expose our sins. Let these words show, not only expose our sin, but show our need for a Savior. And Lord God, use this to minister to those that are going through various trials and tribulations, difficulties, and dilemmas. Help us use this message, Lord, that we would turn our eyes to look upon Jesus and the cross. Thank you for giving the Lion of Judah who roars forth of grace, proclaiming that we can be saved from our sins if we trust in Jesus. If anyone here today does not know you, work in their heart to trust in Jesus as Savior. Thank you for this passage. Help us read God's word with excitement, even the difficult passage, to discover your grace. In Jesus' name we pray.